Blog Talk Radio. Stand by. Okay, praise God, and welcome to Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. The Sabbath is over. I came under heavy attack on teaching trust in the Lord, part two. I just got back from the hospital, fatigued. Uh, I had attacked by a spirit of headaches were just coming at me, coming at me. And I want to talk about how to trust in the Lord by using spiritual warfare, because trusting in the Lord has a lot of components that most uh, people in the church don't even teach. Now, it's very hot back here where I'm at. I got lights beaming like a studio. And I ask that you forgive me. Just give me a couple of seconds to turn my air conditioner on, and we'll start. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus of Nazareth. How God has anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost, who went about doing good and healing all with oppressed of the devil. Lord, use me as your oracle. We come up against every demonic spirit and every evil force that would try to block this teaching. We come up against voice and bouncer, electrical spirits. We bind Satan. You have given us authority over the devil. And, Lord, I use my authority, and I pray that believers will use theirs tonight and every night for the rest of their life. And, Father, we pray for a commitment for those who don't do spiritual warfare in in their life, that they know that they have to do it because can't nobody else do it. I can't carry nobody's cross but my own. And I pray that the hearer hear this not with anger, not with bitterness and not with pride, but with humility, so that God can change and correct us in error. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're trusting in the Lord, and we're going to do a teaching on that. And this is a telethon, and I have been under the most ferocious attack throughout my uh experience being a deliverance minister or being a Christian in this ministry. This is not for everybody. Yes, you're called to cast out demons, but this ain't for everybody. And your makeup has to be totally complete packaged by God. You just can't one day I'm going to do spiritual warfare, the next day I'm not. Because demons don't, they don't sleep while you sleep. While you're watching TV, they're still trying to find a way to kill you. If any of you who are veterans special combat veterans, or just any veteran. The Vietnamese in the Vietnam, during the Vietnam War, they never slept, the VC. They would crawl up out of rice paddies at night while you sleep. That's how the devil does. The Lord has given us authority, and we don't use it. We don't use it in spiritual warfare. We don't use our armor. Sometimes we'll pray. Sometimes we won't. That's wavering, James 1, 6. You start wavering. Then you start becoming a double tongue, First Timothy 3, 8, double heart, Psalms 12, 2. 
and then you'll go one way, then you things don't do good, you get mad, and you're ready to quit. And when you say I'm through, that's the devil thing. Perfect. A time to set you up and to kill you. The Bible says that the thief was to steal, kill, and destroy. And that, that word kill is no joke. The definition of kill is, is serious. Definition of K-I-L-L, kill, calls the death of a person, animal, or other living thing. Put an end to or cease the failure or defeat of something. That's you. An act of killing, especially one by another. And that's the devil. He wants to kill you. And you will let him kill you if you don't fight the good fight of faith. Now, we're talking about trust in the Lord. I, 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 my apologies go out to you. I got hit hard. And I got a lot of people emailing me saying that I was drinking wine. That was ginger ale. My God. <laughs> but People can so judge you so quick. So Jesus of Nazareth, I said, Lord, bless him. When you trust in the Lord, it's more than what you think. And we're going to look at it because I'm going to show you what the Lord gave me. And I pray that you will learn from it. On this telethon, we are trying to raise money for two people on my staff. I have to do a eulogy. And Sister Sheila, newborn, lost her son, 34 years old, passed away in her home. That's devastating to a mother. I first, before I start, give thanks to people and brothers and sisters who are helping me. Thank my friend, Brother John Durden, who helps me every week in sacrifice. Matter of fact, he done done a lot of sacrifice, and I've done a lot of sacrifices for him. He lost his pay to keep me on as a chaplain. If that is not loving the Lord, I would never leave him behind. And he still helps me to this day. I want to thank Brother Tommy from Finland without his help. His interpretation, his soul, his seeds, he sowed. Pastor Chris Baker, 19 years with me. Always a faithful giver. Sister Sheila, Minister Candace Durden, Brother Sammy Osley, Brother Fannigan, and those who give periodically. It's a lot of them, but I can't read all of them out, but I thank all of you. And I'm believing the Lord will move on your heart so that I can get what I need. And I know that when you are in the deliverance ministry and that when you teach the truth, forces come up against you. In this ministry, you cannot look at the person because you're going to miss the demon. And when you get angry at the demon, I mean, angry at the person, you're missing the demon. That's spiritual blindness. 
And when you get frustrated, you're going to do something that you ain't supposed to be doing. Do you know the devil allows you to make a mistake in order for him to attack you? That's why the Bible says give him no place, Ephesians 4.27. I make more mistakes more than any of you. I'm the worst of all apostles. That's just how I look at myself. I'm a sinner. Saved by grace. Ain't nothing, ain't nothing important, nothing special about me. I always want to separate myself from the Lord because he is the one who's worthy, not me. And so many members and so many ministers like to vacillate in their position of authority and yet not teach people anything. I like to teach people on a soldier perspective. Do as the captain do and what we both do. Hebrews 2.12 says Jesus is the captain of our salvation. Now let's look at this trust in the Lord, and we're going to look at this the way God has instructed me to deliver this to you. If you go to the Bible in Proverbs, Chapter 3, verse 5. That's where we're going to start. Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 5. And in Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Now, we got to stop. Because when people hear this, they don't never tell nobody about your heart. They say everything else, and they'll bypass that. I learned from listening to Derek Prince is that the little words you got to catch that become mighty. Every word in the Bible has a meaning for you to understand something. You cannot trust the Lord if your heart is not right. Our own understanding is limited and subject to error from the human mind. We must therefore be enlightened by God's word and spirit to lean on our own understanding opens up a door to demons from your mind. Rather than trust God according to his word and spirit opens up the human mind while dismantling faith on human reasonings rather than trusting God leads to pride, spiritual separation, and a lack of spiritual warfare. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 says, For ye are yet carnal, wherein that is among you, 
envy, strife, divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, when you start walking as a man, in Matthew sixteen twenty three, Jesus says, Satan does the things of man. So instead of you getting your heart right to, to trust God, you go to human reasoning in your mind. I don't know how I'm going to get that. Now you're going to start bringing doubt. And the devil said, just y'all hold tight. He's going to keep messing up. Do you know that the devil waits on you to say things out your mouth to attack you? Did you know that the Bible says that death and life is in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18.21? Did you know that? Death and life is in the power of the tongue. Now, if your heart's not right, how are you going to trust the Lord? Abundance of the heart, the mouth speak it. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak it. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 to 40. O generations of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak it. A good man out of the good treasures of the heart bring forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bring forth evil things. This is why a lot of you Christians cannot trust the Lord because your heart's not right. Now, I don't want to keep going to scriptures all day on the heart. I just want to tap, tap it. The Holy Spirit said, just tap it. Don't let your heart mess you up. Now, if your heart's wicked, it's wicked above imagination, the Bible says. The heart is desperately wicked. The heart is desperately wicked. That's in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Only Jesus. So what you got to do is to ask the Lord, according to Psalms 51, 10, to create in you a clean heart. Or you, or you won't be able to trust the Lord. Get your heart right. The heart is the center of our being, determines our outward behavior, and must be regenerated and changed with that interchange. No one can do this but only the Lord, and you have to let him. What the devil wants you to do is to trust in yourself and your deceitful heart instead of trusting in the Lord. It takes faith to trust in the Lord when you don't know where your bill's going to come. I cannot trust nothing but the Lord. Even though the people sow a seed, they could change their mind. The devil could use them. Or the de- I'm not saying that there are. But we have to be rooted in only trusting in the Lord. 
Now, here's the trick of what the devil tries to do when we trust in the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Please, please write this down. Now, I'm not here to bash no one. I'm only saying what the Lord wants me to tell you of how to trust in the Lord according to the Bible. I don't figure out what I got to do. I had a headache that hit me so bad I, I went to the hospital this morning. They gave me a CAT scan. They tell, told me, you're on the uh, Internet too much, too much brightness, too much of my eyes. Uh, when I started the Internet Radio Ministries in 2004, I didn't need glasses. In 2006, I've had glasses. But I won't quit. I'm going to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can go ahead on and put me through the furnace. I see another man going to be in there like the son of man. I'm not going to quit. The Lord says, I never leave you, nor shall I forsake you. Do you know a lot of people can't believe that if they don't use spiritual warfare? That that has to ward off those thoughts, has to ward off those thinking. The devil attacks us with so many thoughts every day. And if those thoughts attack us and get to us and get into our heart, it's going to mess us up. Let's go to Jeremiah 17.5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusted in man, and make it his flesh his arm, and whose heart departed from the Lord. Now, how can a person's heart depart from the Lord? When you trust in your own human mind, I think I'll go to the palm shop. I think I'll go borrow some money from this person. I think I'll go get a loan. And you ain't asked the Lord none of those things. And you're shooting it out your mouth. I think I'll go get a drink. I'm stressed. Boy, the devil likes that. And then he puts you in sin, get you drinking, change your personality. Now you had some money you had. Now it's gone because you spent it on something wrong that you can use to pay a bill. You see, the devil is very subtle. Then it says in Jeremiah 17:6, For he shall be like that he is in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the porches places in the wilderness in a salt land not limited. Then it says, blessed is the man that trusted in the Lord. Now watch this. And whose hope the Lord is. See, keep your hope while you're going through something. You may be praying for your bills. You may see your son unsaved. And then feel like the more you pray for him, the worse that he gets. We're not supposed to walk on sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, well, we walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. But if your heart is in the wrong condition, you're not going to be able to trust the Lord. Then it says, for he shall be as a tree planted by the waters. That's when you're trusting in the Lord. And that spirit out her roots by the river and shall not see where he cometh. But her leaf shall be green and shall not be 
careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. The heart is desperately or deceitfully above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart. I, the Lord, search the heart and try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways. Now, his ways means what you're doing in deliverance ministry, your way. Are you fighting the good fight of faith? Are you fasting? Some people can't fast three days. Some have to go one day. Are you praying in the tongues according to his ways? Now, if you're not doing any ways to change, and according to the fruits of his doing, that's how you can get the blessing. I'm, I'm going to stand. You know, the devil told me before I got on, why are you going to be doing this? You ain't going to get no money today. Ain't nobody sending you no money. They ain't sending you nothing. I don't pay attention to that. I had to go cut 10 yards. The Bible says if a man don't work, he doesn't eat. Second Thessalonians 3.10. And the demons were telling me, Creflo <laughs> Dollar can fly on a plane and get what he wants. I can do the same thing that for you if you tone it down. I'm the God of wrath, money. And I told him to go away from me in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he came back again. And I told him to go away from me in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he came back again. And then I hit him with Proverbs 23, 4, says, seek not to become rich. And then he left. And then I hit him with Philippians 4, 19, and my God shall supply all my needs according to his will. Quote it right, Lord. I don't never want to misquote the word. Philippians 4, 19, King James Version. Philippians 4.19, King James Version. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ. And he left. In Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The heart is the wellspring of desire and decisions. Following God, knowing his ways, involve a resolute decision to remain committed to him so that God can change your heart. And then once your heart is changed, you'll be able to trust in the Lord. In Proverbs 3, 5, it says, trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Now watch this. Now we talked about the heart. So you have to get your heart right to trust in the Lord. We've just seen that. Then you've got to do something else. You've got to stop your mind from making decisions for you. He says, and lean not unto thy own, that's independent, your own understanding, your mind. I remember 
when I got this res- uh, uh, revelation, I was persecuted. I stood still here. Because we have been taught in theological schools, religious churches, to use your mind. Well, you can't use your mind when you're trying to trust the Lord. Because it just says, and lean not unto thy own understanding. And when you use your mind... With your own understanding, you're going to have some problems. And the devil know it. Lean not unto thy own understanding. Now, don't you think that the devil is going to throw everything he can at your mind to get you to do something on your own and be independent of the Lord. The crowns of thorns was a consistent painful reminder that Jesus, the Son of God, that he wrote for us, the chastisement of our peace. Attacking the mind, the mind is being the focal point of Satan's attack on Christians. It becomes higher ground in the battle against good and evil. The mind wants you to move away from trusting in the Lord and use your own abilities. Then you'll put a curse on yourself. Curse does not come without a cause, Proverbs 26.2. Now you've got a curse on you trying to trust the Lord. Now you can't, you can't go nowhere with a curse. You're going to be subject to failure. The devil knows that. But does the preachers teach you how to trust the Lord? No. They just read it. And and you read it so fast. Trust in the Lord with all the heart. Lean not to thy own understanding. And, and that's it. But that heart, I can teach all day with that one word, heart. And lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Now, when you're trying to acknowledge him, there are forces that you cannot see that's going to try to make you not acknowledge him and get you to do what your first mother did and your first father did, Adam and Eve. They bring a suggestive thought. See, it wasn't all evil, Eve's fault. Adam was supposed to have been there with his wife. That's a wrong – I got that from Derek Prince last night. God named all the animals. Where was Adam at with his wife? He was supposed to have been there with her, but he wasn't. See, when you ain't being where you're supposed to be, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. If you're not where you're supposed to be in spiritual warfare to cast down these thoughts that's going to tell you to go to the palm shop, go borrow some money from somebody, go to the bank, Rob Peter to Rob Paul. God does not want you to be in debt. You know, I don't use credit cards. I don't believe in credit. I don't need credit. When I purchased this home, I did not have credit. How you do that? The Lord 
when that thought comes to you, how are you going to pay that bill? And you're going to go right down on a budget. What I got to pay this, what I got to that. that. You being God to yourself. Well, I can't. Sure, the devil's going to show you. You ain't going to have the money to pay that. Oh, he'll find that, show that to you, keep you from tithing. Because when you don't tithe, you got two curses on you. You're a curse with a curse. And then when you trust in yourself, another curse. He's a good curse worker, and you will give him that opportunity to do that if you trust in yourself. If you try to figure stuff out by not trusting in God and by not using faith, and if you don't cast down those thoughts, you're going to go and fall into sin and get frustrated, and then you're going to get mad at God. Jesus says, I have given you authority over all serpents, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Christians don't use their authority and trusting in the law because they don't connect it with spiritual warfare. Most Christians think that spiritual warfare is just dealing with the devil. Anything in the Bible that God gives us is spiritual warfare. Luke ten seventeen and the seventy returned with, again with joy, saying, "Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through Thy name." The devils are subject unto all of us through the name of Jesus. So when that thought comes to tell you to go to the pawn shop, that's not God. That's the devil trying to lure you into doing something to keep you away from trusting in the Lord. James, the brother of Jesus, hit it very well in James chapter 1, verse 14. Now, when we turn the mic on for questions and answers, we're not talking about, we're just going to talk about the subject of trusting the Lord. We're not talking about me and how I can hear God, all that, Dr. Reverend, E.D., Montgomery, all that's over. We're going to talk about one thing, this subject and nothing else. Now, if we go to James 1.14, the Bible says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. See, we have lust that fights in us. I do. All of us do. I, that's what, this is why I say I can't worry about nobody. I I got to I got to deal with my demons. Believe me. I got to deal with me. Notice it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. E N T I C E D. That entice is demons trying to make you figure things out so you won't be able to trust in the Lord. And he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. When we are trusting in the Lord, we have to use that. The devil don't want you to meditate. Sometimes I, you just have to meditate. See, we are, are a sinful people. All of us are. I'm not perfect. I'm a sinner. All have Don't y'all look at me. I commit sin. That's right. You do too. If you haven't committed sin, you wouldn't be on this earth. You'd be in heaven. Perfect people are in heaven. Perfectionists, they're in heaven. God take them away. 
the flesh lusts against the spirit. Galatians 5, 16, 17. And they go one backwards against another. Sin lied at the door. You're dealing with that. You're dealing with the flesh. You've never been taught how to trust God because you was taught religion. You had a feel-good intellectual sermon with proper grammar, and then you closed with a doxology. And then you still don't know anything about how to deal with this because you didn't learn spiritual warfare in areas of trusting in the Lord. Demons are often assigned to speak the same lie in a person's mind several times a day with their whole lifetime. It is necessary to launch a resistance to him with these flaming darts that he would try to get you to do. Other tactics used by Satan's army are personal attacks against your mind to tell you that the Lord is not going to be with you. How are you going to do that? He's going to get you to go away from God and to put you in a position where you make the wrong decision. See, how the enemy attacks us is that he makes truth with lies to confuse us and pull us away from trusting in the Lord. And getting us to be doing something on our own. And once that happens, you're not going to be able to trust the Lord. Please turn to Psalms chapter 31, verse 12. Psalms. 31, verse 12. In Psalms 31, verse 12, it says, My times are in thy hand. The devil don't want you to have that relationship when it's time to trust him. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Bow down thy ear to me. Deliver me speedily. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Therefore, for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. The devil don't want you to do this. He wants you to use human reasoning, human understanding, lack of faith, no spiritual warfare, no casting down, no imagination. And then if you don't do those things, you won't be able to do what Psalms 31, 3 just said do. For thou art my rock and my fortress, therefore for thy name's sake, lead me and guide me. We have to allow God to guide us, to trust us through this thing. He told me to get on the air, teach, go in faith. Then I hear the demon say, hey, you did that yesterday and you got sick. So I don't pay no attention to that. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privately for me, but thou art my strength. It didn't say your mind was your strength. It didn't say your intelligence was your strength says, Thou art my strength. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord, God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying, vanity, but I trust in the Lord. 
I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy. For thou hast considered my troubles. Thou hast known my soul in adversities. And hast not shut me up into the hand of the enemy. Thou hast set my feet in a large room. You have to believe that. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. For I am in trouble. That's humidity, humble. My eye is consumed with grief because you're going through something. You don't know how you're going to get your bill paid. That's normal. You're being human. Well, you got a body, mind, soul, and spirit. The soul is the emotional part of us. Yea, my soul, that's in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief and my years with many sightings. My strength faileth because of, of my iniquity, and my bones are consumed. See, we fall when we go into sin. But I'm going to show you why. It was a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to my iniquities. They that did see me without fled from me. Now, this is the problem we got. I am forgotten as a dead man out of my mind. I'm like a broken vessel. See, when you get to that mind, it's a broken vessel. So everything that King David was saying about trusting the Lord. Now, to trust in the Lord, you got to have faith. If you don't have faith, get faith. Faith, hearing. And hearing. By the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Romans 14, 23. Because if you're going to be doing your own thing, trying to work it out, it's sin. Now you got a curse on you because you're trusting in your ability. <laughs> You're not protected by God because you won't speak spiritual warfare. He said, I have given you authority in my name. He said, nothing shall by any means hurt thee. So the devil said, well, since this is going, he got that right. Let me throw fear on him. People call you, you got 10 days before your payment come. That's going to put fear in you. Well, what about 2 Timothy 1.7? For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power of a sound mind. I talk to people. And when I teach people, I can hear demons fighting back. Some of us are attached to so many demons in our personalities. We have possessed personalities that can't trust God. I'm coming real. Hosea 10, 12, you got to break up that follow ground. I can't do it. You got to get on your knees and just be real with the Lord. And God will hear you. Romans 14, 23, please. In Romans 14, 23, the Bible says, And he that doubted is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. Now, this is going to stop you from trusting the Lord. Doubting, you don't think he's going to come, and then you go and ask the Lord, Lord, I trust you 10 minutes, you're going back praying to him again. You, you, you don't have no faith in him. Then you got you call to me, 
I had a woman call me nine times, the same prayer. I said, ma'am, it's done. And the Lord says, her faith ain't where you at. And I can't make her faith get there because she won't read the Bible. She won't study. She won't do spiritual warfare. And she's always calling me. And the Lord told me, get them people off you and send them to me. So I called her. She's from Australia. And she got mad at me. And she cussed me out. And then she called me back. So I'm sorry. You know what I was saying? It would make me do that. She didn't open up her door to demonic manifestations in her personality that blocks her from spiritual warfare. And some of you have done that also. Because it's she. And he that doubted is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. God knows everything we that you need. Let's close with Matthew chapter 6. I call this the mind scripture. The mind scripture here. Yeah. This shuts off the mind. The Lord does not want you <laughs> to trust in any of your abilities. He wants you to trust him. Carry the prayer. Lord, cleanse out my heart. Lord, I believe. Lord, I break any curses that I may have said that can stop this blessing. Good luck. Why y'all call? Why y'all Christians be saying good luck? Where y'all get that from? That's satanic. Do you know you can go to satanic church and say good luck? They'll open the doors for you for a black mass. You don't even know that you're using a satanic word. Good luck is like be blessed in Christianity. Watch your words. You know. The Lord has told me, it's not him that he that can't deliver you, it's your mouth. And the things that you say come out your mouth goes into another kingdom, and it's not beneficiary for the kingdom of God. Two kingdoms, and when you speak something, it's going into both kingdoms, one of them. So let's do the mind chapter to show you that God knows everything you need and that you have to align yourself with faith. And send that petition to God. I believe God's going to send me this money to do this wedding. Do I believe the demons say, if, if, if I don't get one dime tonight, you know, I'm not, that's not going to mean that it's over. A thousand years is one day. <laughs> you see, there's still hope in Christ. Faith is now. Also, the Lord can also test you. Even if you're praying for something, he can test you to see what you're going to do, where you're going to stand. He tested Job, and not once did Job curse God. Not once. Sometimes when things don't go your way, you want to get mad at God. You want to get mad at the preacher. You want to point the finger at him, but you don't want to point the finger at yourself and the things that you didn't say out your mouth. And then you get upset when the Holy Spirit corrects you. How are you going to expect something from God when you've got pride and you humble yourself? The Lord will bless you, and he can forgive any sin but blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. The rapper who married Kim Kardashian, uh, he said he made Jesus walk. No, he didn't. Kanye West, he got to pay for that when he died because he wrote a rap song, Jesus Walk. He said, I made Jesus walk. I'm trying to find a production company where I can send a letter off and told him, you have never made my Savior walk because you're a sinner. We have to really watch 
the words that we say that can hinder us from receiving the blessings of God. Dr. Martin Luther King said, I may not be with you. He spoke death on him. Malcolm X said, I'm a dead man even as I speak. There's no way I'm going to say that. I shall not live but declare the works of the Lord. I will walk not by sight. I believe that God is going to open up a door and use my brothers and sisters' hearts to sow the seed to keep me and to keep these bills paid and to get me at a place where I hadn't had any financial plans to go there. My lawyer told me, your day coming with your lawsuit. Oh, God already told me. This is going to be over with. But I went through it for 15 years. and still going, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? When are you going to get it? Do you think that I'm going to let any of you know and let the demons know what I'm doing because they can reassign and attack me? Do you know when you start speaking things to people and telling folks your business, you ain't doing them and letting the demons know what's going on? That's why the Bible said in 1 Thessalonians 4.11 to make it an aberration to tend to your own business and work of your own hand. Keep your mouth shut, Psalm 39, verse 1, and pray. Them demons hear every word you say. They saw Jesus coming. I know who thou art. Thou art Jesus, the Son of God. Walk right up to Jesus. They heard him. Well, they hear you. Don't let them hear you doubt God. Don't let them hear you trusting in your mind. Don't give them no place, Ephesians 4.27. Let's serve God and trust him with whatever we have. You may not be trusting him to believe him for a plane ticket like I got to get to do a eulogy. You may be trusting him for your loved one to get saved. Now, let me say this about people getting saved and, and stuff. God gave me a revelation on that. People have a free will. And God never stops nobody's free will. He that wishes to be evil, let him be evil. And he that wishes to be righteous, let him be righteous. Revelation 22, 11. You can put it on the hand of the Lord, but they don't change. And it'll come back to you. It is not God that done that. Their own decision that they make. But don't you be like that. Tell yourself tonight, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm not using my mind. I'm not going to use my heart. I'm going to create me a clean heart so that I can do what I need to do to get this blessing. And don't figure nothing out. That's the worst thing you can do in trusting the Lord. Let's close this. Matthew 6, 25, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. We ain't supposed to think about it. But the devil wants you so he can stop you from getting your blessing. What you should eat, what you should drink, nor yet for your body, what you should put on. We ain't supposed to take no thought about that. What we do every day, how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to do that. And the Lord puts his head down and said, they just won't trust me. And them demons said, be quiet, write it down. And they write everything down, you say. And you ain't doing no spiritual warfare. So they got the upper hand to kill you. They want to kill you. They want to kill your blessing. Kill. Cause the death of a person, animal, or human being, or any living being. Kill. Put an end to or cease the failure or defeat of a Christian. Kill, an act of killing, especially one by another person or by a demon. That's what they want to do. They want to kill you. And you're going to give them the information from your mouth to kill you to stop your blessing.
stop that tonight. Behold, the flowers of the air, for they sow not, neither do they weep, neither do they gather barns until your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much more better than they? You're better than them. And God will feed them animals, those birds. The birds and the animals and the cats have more sense than we do. They can't even pray, and God feed them. I had a wild female cat. She's a wild cat. I like animals. And I looked, and the Lord said, stand by the door and say, I test the spirit, and the cat stood still. And I said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, it's okay. It's okay. And I was talking to that cat, and I looked right in that cat. I said, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, in the name of Jesus, it's okay. Your baby's going to get fed. I hear him out there. She stood still. I walked right out of there with a can of tuna and put it right there. Now she's at the door cares for that cat now here I am a human being to have a love for animals God used that to feed that cat you better than a cat which of you by taking thought from your mind can add anything into your situation and why taking thought from your mind consider the lilies of the field how they grow and tall they don't think from their mind and yet I say unto you that even Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which is today, and is tomorrow cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? Here's the problem. O ye of little faith. That's why you don't trust the God. You don't trust the Lord because, one, you don't have no faith. You don't trust the Lord. Your heart's not right. You don't trust the Lord, three, because you're leaning on your own understanding. And if you can eliminate these things, you'll be able to trust the Lord. You'll be able to have victory in your life and fight the good fight of faith. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you bless those who have sinned against you by trusting in their flesh. Forgive them, Lord. Now take this opportunity and ask the Lord to forgive you for using your mind, using your stubbornness. Yield yourself to the Lord. Let him deal with you. Let him deal with you. I got hit so hard teaching this, I had to get off air, but I'm back on. And even as I teach, I'm coming under an attack with this headache thing. I just got through to talking to Apostle Durden when she's at work. I said, you got to cast this thing out of me. It was a spirit. Spirit comes through deliverance finishes. The demons I deal with with people every day, all day, every day. The technical stuff that I do, I do the technical stuff here. I'm, do, I'm not doing it for nobody but Jesus. So I'm not asking you to clap for me and, and when you see me to do autographs. I don't do autographs. I didn't die on the cross, okay? I have to do deliverance. I have to download. And if you're a deliverance minister, you need to get some deliverance of somebody that you know. I do it. Only one person can do that on me. That's Sister Candace Durden. Okay, nobody else. Not that I don't trust nobody else. I know a spirit. And be careful who you confess your faults to. You confess to the wrong person, they mind will jump on that and start 
criticizing you because they can't hear it. They're carnal. Stop being carnal because if you're carnal, you cannot hear the Lord. So ask the Lord to forgive you tonight. Ask the Lord, Lord, forgive me. Create in my heart a new heart and teach me how to trust you. If you do that, he will. Father God, we come in the name of Jesus. We thank you for, you for this sermon. We ask that it bless the individuals, that it would change their life in trusting in the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please sow a seed. Sister Sheila lost her son, and I'm trying to get to Baltimore, Maryland, to do a eulogy. And uh, they got the body on hold. Now, I'm not putting this burden on anybody, and I'm not lying. I don't have to put my hand to the Bible because I'm telling the truth. This this would be absurd for me to try to get money to say that. I mean, if I wanted to make some money outside the will of God, all I got to do is call Big Dog and get an AK-47 and go behind him to a drug raid and get some drug dealers' money if I really wanted to do that and take a chance on going to hell. But I could do that. That's the type of gangster I was. But I don't, I don't go that route. I don't go the prosperity route. I go the word route, and I trust the word. And I trust that God will move on your heart to sow a seed to get me to help her. I have a lot of technical issues that I need my technician here. I got to get Brother Tommy from sending all the way to the United States. Well, why him? God sent me a technician. When this technician get here, we will have Internet TV when he gets here. Live Deliverance is moving to Internet TV. The next, when I in my 70s, from my 70s to my 80s, I will be interviewing people that dealt with the encounters of demons, poltergeists, home deliverances. We have people on the show from Jamaica. We have Jermaine Edwards, Pastor Earl White, all the the musicians, the pastors of what's going on in the ministry in Jamaica. We are a worldwide radio station, and we have so many audience. Now, I'm going to bind Satan tonight. Loose up this money, Satan. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I come up against every spirit that will try to block anyone to want to give whatever they give. The Bible says, despise not small things. This ministry have a need, and it's not for no airplane. It's to get to do a eulogy for my my church member, to bury her son. Father, I ask that that door be open tonight, tomorrow, or whenever you allow on the hearts of your believers to give. Your word says, my ways are not yours, neither my thoughts are yours. I will not think of what I will get tonight. I will trust you and believe whatever you give and when you give, I will have the proper time to get there to do this eulogy. I pray for Brother Tommy that we open up a door for him. He just lost one of his employees. He was in training to get to America. That's a setback. Let me tell you something. You better learn spiritual warfare if you're going to be a deliverance minister. If not, you've got to stay out of it and still do spiritual warfare for yourself, whether you're a deliverance minister or not. Please sow a seed. Go to www.livedeliverance.com. On the lower left-hand corner of the icon, there's a PayPal icon. There's a PayPal icon. You can sow a seed at that PayPal icon, and you can go to 
GoFundMe at www.LiveDeliverance.com on our GoFundMe site. I have to do this. Usually this sister has been with me 16 years. I've been comforting her. And I thank the Lord for Chaplain John Durden for teaching me to be a chaplain. I'm using that in seeing people suffer when you see so many deaths as a chaplain. That always bothered me. But when you know somebody, it hits you more. Yes, we mourn. The children of Israel mourned it 30 days when they lost Moses. But you know, the Bible says be more happy when someone is dead than when something's coming on the earth. But because we're human, God understands that. I want to be there for her and for my technician. I want to thank Chaplain Durden, Brother John, for helping me every Wednesday to help me with financial assistance religiously. I want to thank Rodriguez Baker. I only have a couple of people that tithes to help this ministry. And then once they give that, I, I have to cut yards. When I get my check, I pay all the radio bills and I lack in my other areas of my personal life. But that's going to end because Joe went through it. When you're going through something, God's looking at your attitude. How are you going to handle it? What are you going to say? I'm not being angry at the Lord. I know who's trying to stop me. And I pray that you would know who's trying to stop you from trusting the Lord. His name is Satan and his demons. Shalom. And God bless. Again, go to www.livedeliverance.com on the left-hand side for the PayPal icon, source seed, $5, $2, whatever God sends. We don't put burdens on people. Whatever God tells you to give, give. Whatever he tells 10000 if he say that, then he say that. He say $2, if he say 50 cents. I rejoice if it's no different than 10 because I, I, I just see God sending it. I'm not moved by money. It has needs that you need in ministry. I lived the lifestyle of the gangster many years ago, and I have no desire to let materialistic things love me because you can't carry it with you. Sow the seed in faith. Go to www.livedeliverance.com on the lower left-hand side of the PayPal icon or www.livedeliverance.com and where it says GoFundMe. We're on YouTube. We have Derek Prince streaming 24 hours a day. Please go to www.livedeliverance.com. And when you go there, you'll be able to listen to Derek Prince. He's on right now 24 hours a day. We've been doing that for six months. We have a Finnish audience. We have a Jamaican audience. We have a worldwide audience, and we want you to give. Help me get to Baltimore, Maryland, to do this eulogy for my church member. God bless, and shalom. Stand by for those who are in Blog Talk Radio. Stand by. Thank you for listening to us here at Live Livingston Radio. We're going to go back to Frank Hammond. Okay, we're only going to talk about the sermon. It's not about me tonight. Reverend D.R. Montgomery, we're not talking about who wrote this sermon. That's out. We're talking about one thing, what you learned from this subject. 
we give the mic to Chaplain John Durden. We're going to take a quick intermission because other people are coming into the room. They want to listen. So I want to give a quick intermission. Hallo, ich bin der Mark. Ich bin ein deutscher Teilnehmer der Internetgottesdienste von Fellowship of Deliverance, Internet Radio and International Ministries. Ich lade euch ein, uns auf www.fellowshipofdeliveranceinternetradio, alles in einem Wort.com, sowie auf unserer Facebook-Seite zu besuchen. Wir übertragen dort unsere Internetgottesdienste live auf unserer Website, und zwar samstags um 20 Uhr deutscher Zeit, entsprechend 14 Uhr US Eastern Standard Time, sowie dienstags um 2 Uhr morgens deutscher Zeit, entsprechend montags 20 Uhr US Eastern Standard Time. Samstags treffen wir uns zum Gottesdienst in unserem virtuellen Paltalk-Raum namens Fellowship of Deliverance Demonology mit Leerzeichen zwischen den Wörtern. Der Paltalk-Raum ist im Anschluss an unser samstägliches Treffen für eure Fragen und Antworten geöffnet und wir laden euch ein, euch hieran zu beteiligen. Ihr könnt uns auch auf Facebook unter dem Facebook-Nutzernamen Fellowship of Deliverance Internet Radio.com finden und uns hierüber kontaktieren. Falls ihr in der Region von Atlanta lebt, könnt ihr uns auch sehr gerne direkt vor Ort besuchen. Unsere Anschrift lautet 139 Christopher Place, Riverdale, Georgia 30274, USA. Vielen Dank, dass ihr uns auf Fellowship of Deliverance Internet Radio.com zuhört. Okay, we're going to open up the mic to Chaplain John Durden. Good evening, Brother John, and you have the mic. Uh, good evening. Hello to everybody. Uh, as usual, I always love the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And I sense in my spirit that some of you still saying to yourself, my brother John, you ought to stop that. Brother John, you know you're telling that man. What brother, brother John, brother John yeah. we're not doing it tonight. I already warned all the pastors. We're going to go ahead on and talk about this. We, we, I done told all the pastors we're not getting into that. That's good. That's good. That's good. Go ahead. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the sermon. Uh, what do we learn tonight? We're, we're not taking our ass for that no more. Well, the short, the, the short of it is uh, what I enjoy about it is that we need to put our trust in the Lord. There's many times we don't know where the money going to come from, and we started trying to wheel and deal, and then we'll, we cut our own throat. Now, I take Brother Emmett personally. Now, he was asking for, for, for years and months, you know, like give to the ministry and so on, so on, so on. We always get feedback like, well, You know, and they don't respond. Can you imagine he's been teaching all these years, and but he kept trusting the Lord. He didn't say, well, Lord, the heck with it. I've been asking for volunteers and everything else, and, and all these years I was getting, like, uh, money from four to five people. When there's thousands of people listening to, the, to, my, to my teaching, and they hold back. And, you know, I come to the conclusion after uh, many days of prayer, I receive in my spirit that, Brother Emmett, that a lot of the money, because you mentioned tonight about four or five people, is because some see you as an uneducated person. And I keep telling them that education no, we're not, ain't got... Brother John, we, we're not going with that either. We, I cut all those guys off the radio. We're just going to stick to the sermon. No, there's no doctors in there. I got rid of all of them. They, we're not here for them. We're just here for true believers that want to learn something. Uh, I made that announcement earlier. We, we're not going to convince nobody with that no more. The Lord told me we need to stop that. That's too much airtime to keep trying That's to great. convince people. They, they believe what they want to believe. Let's stick to the subject of what did you learn uh, from this and how can you be able to be a blessing to everybody else of what you do to tithe to help people learn how to go in faith. 
Well, trusting in the Lord, that's a good one. And I, I can talk about that because a lot of times we try to trust in ourselves. Uh, if we ask the Lord for something and it don't come at the time when we should get it, then we rather discount it and go, well, you see there, you know. Uh, we need to learn to trust him. That's the biggest thing in our whole life because our whole life, no matter if we're from one year old on up to 101 years old, our success is trusting in the Lord. He is the one that provides, not your best friend, not your buddy, and these kinds of things. A lot of it don't receive anything because they don't have trust. They're just, just wrapping with the mouth. And that's what he wanted. He wants us to do, to trust him not only for money, but to trust him for our livelihood, we to do with our life while we're on this earth, how we should treat other people and stuff like that. That's what he wanted to do. We need to trust him because we don't have it all because if we trust in our mind, then we are losing because the mind is fleshly. And the mind don't give a flip about who needs us and what we need to do here and what we need to preach here and what we need to go here. We need to trust the Lord. That is the bottom line. It's nothing like hearing the Lord say, go here, go there, and personal speaking. I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I asked the Lord, and next thing I know, one Saturday morning, he woke me up and said, go to Fort McPherson. I go, what? I don't want to be in the Army. And I went, I just, I trust me what I heard. And just so happened, they were looking for a, a black uh, <clears throat> recruiter to hire people federal jobs. There was a totally white organization, a personnel administration. I walk in the door. And they look at me like, praise the Lord, and they were rednecks, okay? And they hired me, and I ended up being a third year. God blessed me because I trusted in him. I was a school teacher, and I trusted him. He said, go to Atlanta. I left Savannah, Georgia, came here, and got a little job as a teacher. And I said, no, this ain't me. And then the Lord had to speak to the pastor. The pastor said, John, I need to speak to you. And, I, and I, after service over, he said, the Lord have a calling on you. Uh, you don't suppose the teaching thing isn't your thing. I said, I know I don't be a teacher. He said, he has a purpose in you. And sure enough, the next day, I got a call from Pope McPherson. And the folks say, uh, we heard about you. How y'all heard about me? That's all right how we heard about you. You just need to come for an interview. And I went there, and they gave me that job. I left a, a $17,000 a year job as a teacher and went to a $50,000 a year job with the federal government as a personnel specialist that's trusting in the Lord. Amen. Now, since we're doing a telethon, we have another teaching, not by my, by me, but when people having problems trusting in the Lord, they don't realize that those are strongholds that's in them. What other man that I know that has raised three people from the dead, adopted a black daughter and 12 Jewish girls and two Arabs? Dr. Derek Prince. The theme of this session is entitled Casting Down Strongholds. And it's a session that will deal with spiritual warfare. We need to understand, first of all, why there is spiritual warfare. Who is fighting who? Which side are we on? So I want to turn, first of all, to Matthew chapter 12, a, a passage about the ministry of Jesus, which brings out the basic fact that there are two invisible spiritual kingdoms that are at war with one another. One is the kingdom of Satan and the other is the kingdom of God. Now I imagine most of you have no problem with the concept that God has a kingdom. Some of you may not be aware that Satan has a kingdom, but he does 
and it's most important for us as Christians that we understand the nature of his kingdom and how it operates because if we are in the kingdom of God through Christ we are automatically at war with the kingdom of Satan you understand suppose I were a citizen of let's say Australia and Australia was at war which God forbid with New Zealand we trust that such a thing will never even enter people's minds but if, if, if it was so then as a citizen of Australia I would automatically be at war with New Zealand because I belong to a nation that is at war with another nation so if the kingdom of God is at war with the kingdom of Satan and we are in the kingdom of God then we have no option we are automatically at war with the kingdom of Satan and it's very important for us to know it and to understand the nature of the war so let me read this passage from Matthew chapter 12 beginning at verse 24 Jesus had just healed a man who was deaf and dumb by casting out the evil spirit that caused him to be deaf and dumb do you know that evil spirits cause people to be deaf and dumb? Well, when we were in Pakistan about four years ago, we were ministering to Pakistanis, naturally. And God opened a wonderful door because Pakistan is 98% Muslim. And we had the freedom to hold public meetings and up to 16,000 people gathered. The reason why they gathered, there was one reason, because they had heard we would pray for the sick. That was the sole reason that most of them came. And in the course of ministry, uh, Ruth and I plunged into a crowd of men who were standing before us waiting to be prayed for. And one man touched his ears and then touched his tongue. We couldn't speak their language, but I understood he was showing us that he was deaf and dumb. So I knew theoretically the right thing to do. And I thought, I'll do it and see what happens. So I said, you deaf and dumb spirit that's in this man, and I was speaking English, and he was deaf and dumb anyhow. So <laughs> wouldn't have mattered what language I was speaking. I said, you deaf and dumb spirit that's in this man, I'm speaking to you and not to this man. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I command you to come out of this man. Then I said to the man, now say something. And immediately he heard. <laughs> He didn't understand, but he heard and he began to make sound. So they marched him up to the platform and told people that he'd been delivered from the deaf and the dumb spirit. And I said to myself, this thing works. So I think Ruth is here, and I'd like to, her to check on my accuracy, but I think for the next ten minutes we went around looking for deaf and dumb people. <laughs> and in Pakistan they're not hard to find. And I think in the next... Ten minutes we saw at least ten people delivered from the condition of being deaf and dumb when the evil spirit was driven out of them. So I just say this because it's not a theory, it's not some old-fashioned tradition, it's a very living, up-to-date reality. Anyhow, when Jesus did this, we read what happened. When the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. They made a terrible accusation. They said he can cast out demons because he's in league with the, the ruler of the demons. 
Jesus answered and said, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself, how then will his kingdom stand? So Jesus said very clearly, Satan has a kingdom, and it's not divided. Then he went on to say, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. There Jesus speaks about the kingdom of God. So in this ministry of delivering people from evil spirits, the clash between the two kingdoms is brought right out into the open. The kingdom, the invisible kingdom of, of Satan is represented by the demons. The invisible kingdom of God is represented by Jesus and by those who continue his ministry in his name. And uh, I believe Satan particularly fears this ministry of deliverance because of two things. First of all, it brings out into the open his invisible kingdom. And he'd much rather have it invisible. And second, it shows the victory and the supremacy of the kingdom of God over his kingdom. But I'm just giving, starting with that passage, to show you that the New Testament reveals clearly there are two invisible spiritual kingdoms at war with one another. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Satan. Now, for a brief description of the kingdom of Satan and its headquarters, we turn to Ephesians chapter 6, which actually is an absolutely key verse on this whole theme. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says in verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, I would like to give you the Prince version of that verse. It's, it's the amplified Prince version. Uh, you ask me, am I qualified? Well, I have learned Greek since I was 10 years old, which is a long while now. And uh, I'm qualified to teach it at university level. That doesn't mean necessarily I'm always right, but it gives me I'm entitled to my opinion. So I'm going to give you the Amplified Prince version. For our wrestling match is not against persons with bodies. Now that phrase is taken from the Living Bible and I think it's a very good phrase. We are in a wrestling match but we're wrestling persons who don't have bodies. Well that immediately causes us to adjust our thinking because we're not used to the concept of persons without bodies, although there are multitudes of such persons in the universe. Then he says, in the Prince Version, against rulers with various areas and descending orders of authority. So it's a very highly organized kingdom. There are rulers in this kingdom, each with a particular area of responsibility, and under each of those rulers there are sub-rulers who are responsible for sub-areas in that kingdom. Now you might say, well Satan was very clever to devise such an organization. That's not so. 
The truth of the matter is that he rebelled against God, being, as most people believe, in, one, in charge of one-third of the creative angels, uh, brought his angels into rebellion against God with him, and were cast out of heaven, and simply set up a rival kingdom, keeping the organizational structure that they had when they were part of God's kingdom. So he doesn't get any credit for this extremely clever organization. All right. I'm going to go to that part again. Our wrestling match is not against persons with bodies, but against rulers with various areas and descending orders of authority, against the world dominators of the present darkness, and I deliberately use the word dominate because the Greek word is a very powerful word. And I choose the word dominate because God never dominates anybody. Wherever you encounter domination, it's something satanic. That's not how God rules people. But Satan's ambition is to dominate the whole world. Do you understand that? Not just some little part of humanity but through a kingdom of darkness to dominate the whole world. And because his kingdom is a kingdom of darkness, the people who are in that kingdom, for the most part, don't know what they're in. You see, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of light. If we're in the kingdom of God, we know where we are, somewhat. But most of the people who are in Satan's kingdom don't know where they are because it's a kingdom of darkness they can't see. And then, going to the final phrase in verse 12, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly, or in the heavenly places. So, there are vast armies, you know, and the word host is Old English for army, vast armies of satanic beings, persons without bodies, arranged in battle order against us. It's important that we know that, isn't it? It's going to make a lot of difference in our lives if we realize what we're up against. Now let me point out that Satan's headquarters, as stated here, are in the heavenlies. Uh, we have a lot of language in the church which speaks about Satan as if he were in hell. Hell is a place of confinement for wicked persons below the surface of the earth. My comment on that is, it would be nice if Satan were in hell, but he isn't. He's very much at large, he's very active, and his kingdom is in the heavenlies. Now, most of you will then begin to say in your mind, but I thought Satan was cast out of heaven. You're perfectly right. He was. Now, the key to understanding this is that there's more than one heaven. This is absolutely essential. Uh, actually, in the first verse of the Bible, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens, plural, the earth, singular. So from the, right from the first verse of the Bible, we have this revelation that heaven is plural. Now, there are two passages in the New Testament which bring this out very clearly. The first is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4 where Paul is talking about people he knew who had had marvelous spiritual experiences. And he talks about one particular person who was caught up from the earthly level into the heavenly. 
and he says he doesn't know whether he was in his body or not. This is what he says. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Now Paul says this fellow Christian he knew was caught up into the third heaven. He also says he was caught up into paradise, which would seem to suggest that paradise is in the third heaven. And since there he heard the words of God, the third heaven would apparently be the dwelling place of God. Now I am a logician, and I can't escape from logic, one thing I am convinced of, if there is a third heaven, there must be a first and a second. There never has been a third of anything without the first two. So that scripture tells us there are at least three heavens. And that's what I believe. We have a phrase that people sometimes use when they're very happy. They say, I was in the seventh heaven. I don't think that's scriptural. As a matter of fact, I think it's probably taken from the Quran. So if you're feeling very happy, just tell people, I was on cloud nine, see. Because the Bible reveals there are a lot of clouds in heaven. But my point is, there are at least three heavens. Let me give you one other scripture, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 10. Speaking about what happened to Jesus in death and resurrection, it says, He who descended into hell is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. So Paul says, Jesus ascended far above all the heavens. Now, I was a teacher of English as a second language in Africa, and I learned there are certain pitfalls in the English language. Some of you may have struggled with them. And one is the use of the word all, because you can't use it in certain situations. For instance, one of my students came to me one day and he said, Please, sir, all my parents have come to see me. <laughs> well, I said, I understand what you mean, but you've got the wrong word, because you can't have more than two parents, and you can't use the word of all of less than three persons. So, when Paul says there were above all the heavens, there must have been at least three heaven. Now I believe that's what there are. Now I'll offer you just my opinion and I'm not claiming that this is necessarily scriptural but it seems to me the third heaven is the heaven of God's dwelling place. It's the holy heaven. And remember that God dwells even above heaven. That's stated in many places. Then the first heaven I would suggest could be the visible heaven that we see the sun, the moon, and the stars. So in some way, the, there remains a second heaven, which is never called the second heaven, which is somewhere between the visible heaven and the heaven of God's being. Personally, I believe that's where Satan's kingdom is located. I have a... Let me just offer you this theory. Maybe you think I'm very naive, but... Uh, Ruth and I travel a lot by jet airplanes. And uh, recently, on the way from New Zealand to 
to Singapore. We were flying at an altitude of 39,000 feet, which is a long, long way up. When I get that high, I sometimes have the feeling I am above Satan's kingdom. It's like it's easy to pray. You don't have to fight your way through opposition. Now this, this may be completely my subjective impression. But somewhere or other between God and us is a hostile kingdom which opposes us and seeks to hinder our prayers. And that's why sometimes we have to pray through. You understand? It's not that we're praying out of the will of God. It's not that God is unwilling to hear, but we have to penetrate a hostile kingdom in the heavenlies to reach God. Now rather than um, speculate, I want to give you a passage from the book of Daniel which very clearly reveals that this is so. I'm not going to read the whole chapter but if you're interested you would do well to read the chapter for yourself later. Daniel chapter 10. This chapter relates how Daniel set aside a period of three weeks for special prayer. And he did what we've come to call a Daniel fast. He didn't give up all food, but he only ate the plainest and simplest food, and he drank no wine and he ate no meat. And he was mourning before God on behalf of his people Israel, who were captives of a Gentile empire. And at the end of three weeks, a very glorious angel came to him with the answer to his prayer, which was a revelation from God of what would be the future of his people, which, which consists of Daniel chapters 11 and 12. But the angel said to him, the first day you began to pray, your prayer was heard, and I was sent with the answer to your prayer. But, he said, it took me three weeks to get through because somewhere between the throne of God and Daniel on earth, I was opposed by satanic angels. And I had to force my way through those angels. So it's very clear that at the time of Daniel, somewhere between God's throne and earth, there was this satanic kingdom. I believe it's still there. It was still there when Paul wrote Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, which was at least 30 years after the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. In other words, whatever the situation was, it wasn't changed by the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. Jesus ascended far above Satan's kingdom, but Satan's kingdom still remained in place. And then the angel told Daniel, I've come with the answer to your prayer, and when I leave, I'm going to have to fight my way back through the same angels, and then I'm going to have to fight other satanic angels. And uh, the, the angel that came to Daniel said, on my way here, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So for 21 days, these angels were battling in the heavenly. 
and he also speaks about kings of Persia in the language of the King James and which is used here I understand the prince was the supreme ruler the kings were sub-rulers but they were all concerned with the kingdom or the empire of Persia which at that time was the largest and most powerful empire on earth it had 127 provinces so Satan had one super angel who was responsible to him for the whole kingdom of Persia but this super angel had other angels that were responsible for different areas within the kingdom of Persia now this is no theory for me because I've seen in many instances and cases how this principle works for instance let's suppose that there were major cities in the empire of Persia which there were well I think there was one sub-angel over each major city as I travel from city to city and place to place I've learned that to be effective in ministry in a certain city very often I have to identify the particular satanic power that's at work in that city and it's different from city to city to city again there were a lot of different nationalities in the Persian Empire and my observation is that many times there's a particular satanic king over a particular racial group taking the United States which is made up of many different racial groups and where I've lived now for more than 20 years my clear impression is that different racial groups have different satanic powers over them and in dealing with those racial groups spiritually it becomes important to identify the power that's over them for instance as all everybody knows there are a lot of black Negroes in America now I have no prejudice against black people I love them I have a black daughter but they are the descendants of people who were taken there as slaves and I've told I've shared this with black Americans you find that most black Christians can only get so far and something seems to stop them and I have shared my opinion that you came as slaves you've been politically emancipated but you've never been spiritually emancipated you're still under a spirit of slavery now Paul speaks about a spirit of slavery in Romans chapter 8 when he says we have not received a spirit of slavery again but the spirit of the God which makes us sons and daughters of God and when he's talking about slavery if you look at the context he's talking about religious legalism people whose religion consists of sets of rules do this don't do that my observation again is that nearly all black American churches are extremely legalistic hardly any of them know the real liberty of God's grace what is the reason the reason is that that spirit of slavery has never really been dealt with it still has a measure of control over them they're Christians 
many of them and some of them are very lovely Christians but as a group they've never been set free take another group in the United States the American Indians basically the United States is a, is a country of liberty unfortunately liberty has been carried much too far these days it's a country where almost anybody can prosper because of the nature of the economy and the laws and so on you don't have to have a doctorate in philosophy to prosper in fact you probably do better without it um, but there's one group that basically have never prospered the American Indian they've never prospered financially they've never prospered socially and in spiritually they are still in awful darkness they are basically all practices of witchcraft a very powerful witchcraft it's a tragedy but my impression is that until someone with vision understands the root problem of the American Indians and is prepared to do the spiritual warfare to release them they'll remain in bondage now I've been wise enough to take my examples from a distant land but I think if you ponder what I'm saying in a little while you'll begin to see that there are similar principles operating in Asia very strong principles um, now when the angel had finished telling Daniel about this he said when I go I'll have to find a gang with the prince of the kingdom of Persia and then after that I'll have to fight with the prince of the kingdom of Greece now why Persia and Greece well because there were four Gentile empires that dominated God's people Israel and their land and the city of Jerusalem and you see the battle is always most intense spiritually where God's kingdom's issues are focused so wherever God is at work you'll find that Satan will be at work also his very name means the resistor see he resists God's purposes and God's people that's his he can't help it he's a slave of his own nature so there were four successive Gentile empires that dominated Israel Babylon Persia Greece and Rome now in Daniel's day Persia was still the dominant empire but the next one to follow it would be Greece and so we see that the spiritual warfare in a way relates to God's people God's purposes and in a sense it's necessary to carry out this spiritual warfare in order for God's purposes for his people to be fulfilled and Daniel is a marvelous pattern of somebody who by prayer and fasting and intercession changed the history of his people let me now read the passages that I've been quoting very quickly Daniel chapter 10 verses 2 and 3 in those days I Daniel was mourning three full weeks I ate no pleasant food 
No meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at, at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. The, the period of three weeks is emphasized. Now the angel that came to him said various things. And then in verse 12, this is what he said. Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. So, somewhere on the way from God to Daniel, he was opposed by the prince of the kingdom of Persia for 21 days. And in the end, another angel of God, the angel or archangel Michael, had to come and join in the conflict. Now, if you read further on in Daniel, Michael is called the great prince or angel that stands up for the children of your people, that's Israel. So as a matter of biblical interpretation, you find this helpful. Wherever Michael is on the scene, Israel is center stage in human history, see, because he's the particular angel that has the job of looking after Israel. And believe me, that is a pretty tough job. Now, going on, he says in verse 20 of Daniel 10, Do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. In other words, the battle isn't over yet. And when I've gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. That's the next major Gentile empire. And you can understand, behind the history of these human empires, there are satanic forces at work that really are the explanation of what happened. You really cannot fully understand human history if you only look on the horizontal human level. Because the real forces that determine the destinies of nations and people are in the heavenlies. And then he says, verse 12, verse 21 of Daniel chapter 10, But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth, no one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince, again, the archangel Michael. Then you go on to the first verse of the next chapter, which is part of the same message. Also in the first year of Darius the Mede, I, even I, stood up to confirm and strengthen him. There's a clear example of the intervention of angels in human history. Why did God's angel stand up for Darius? The answer is because God's people Israel had been captured and enslaved by the empire of Babylon and Darius was the ruler of the Persian empire that destroyed the empire of Babylon and released God's people to return to their land, which was God's purpose. So behind all the human forces and the horizontal plane, there is a vertical plane and there are angelic forces, both angels of God and angels of Satan, that are at work. And human history is to be explained by the interplay of all these forces. Now, why we are significant as Christians is because God has given to us and us alone 
the weapons by which we can intervene in this spiritual war. Governments have armies and weapons that will deal with other nations, but only the Christian church has the weapons that will intervene in the spiritual realm in the heavenlies. And you understand, the one who wins in the heavenlies ultimately determines the course of history. So the most significant thing you can do in history, in a sense, is be an intercessor and pray through the spiritual issues in the heavenlies that will determine the history of nations on earth. See, Daniel is a, just a perfect example. Now, as I've said already, we are involved in this war. That's not an option. The only decision you can make is whether you'll be part of the kingdom of God or not. If you're part of the kingdom of God, you are at war with the kingdom of Satan. That's not something you can decide. You just better get equipped and learn how to fight, because if you don't, you're going to be a casualty. Now, going back to Ephesians chapter 6, Paul, immediately after speaking about Satan's kingdom in the heavenlies, tells us we better put on our armor. And I'll read this rather quickly, beginning in verse 13. Therefore, you know what I said about therefore? What's it therefore? Because of verse 12, which is Satan's kingdom in the heavenlies. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Jesus, uh, Paul says there's going to come an evil day. An evil day comes in the life of every one of us. Whether we stand or not depends on whether we've got the equipment that we need. And then Paul lists the armor, and it's taken from the battle armor of a Roman legionary in his day. This is the picture. There are six main items of armor, which we'll look at very quickly. We're not going to comment on them. Stand there, therefore, having your waist girded with truth. You have a belt that you wear around your waist, and it's truth. Having put on the breastplate, of righteousness. You have a protection over your chest which protects your heart and it's righteousness. Not the righteousness of works but the righteousness of faith. And then it says having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You have sandals that protect your feet and enable you to march far and fast which Roman legionaries could do. Once the protection of your feet is the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, let me just interject. If you want more information, I have a tape somewhere in my long list of tapes that deals with each one of these pieces of armor. All right. And that's, I'm saying that because I don't want to hurry through this, but I want to get beyond the defensive to the attack, you understand? If I get bogged down in defense, we'll never reach attack. Um, above all or over everything else taking the shield of faith this is a great big shield shaped like a door which could protect every part of your person from the arrows of the enemy and then it says take the helmet of salvation what part of you does your helmet protect? your head what does your head stand for? 
your thought life, that's right. And it is so important we know how to protect our thought life. God has provided a helmet. Here it's called the helmet of salvation. In First Thessalonians 5, 8 it's called the helmet, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. You know what protects your mind? Hope. You've got to be an optimist. If you're a pessimist, your mind is open to the attacks of Satan. I have another message on that because it's something I learned by experience. I was born and brought up a pessimist. And I suffered agonies in my mind until I learned I had to change and that I had a helmet that would protect my mind. All right. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the spoken Word of God. Notice you've got six items of equipment. All of them are defensive except the last one, the sword, which is a weapon of attack but only goes as far as your arm can reach. But the seventh weapon is the weapon. And it's in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Here is where we can reach out and assail Satan's kingdom in the heavens. It's with the weapon of prayer in the Spirit. So we have seven items of equipment. Five are defensive. The sixth is the sword, which you can only reach as far as your arm reaches. But the seventh is what I call God's intercontinental ballistic missile. What is it? All prayer. We can assail Satan's kingdom with the weapon of all prayer. All right, now, I'm coming to the very thing that I wanted to deal with. I'm going to go back to Matthew 12. And I'm going to show you one more verse. And really all I can do is stimulate your thinking. But that's a lot. If the church would only start thinking, we'd be undefeatable. It always impresses me that Martin Luther started the Protestant Reformation by pinning up 90-some theses. He didn't pin up the answers. He just got them started thinking. And when they started thinking, Things change, see? It's important that we learn to think. All right, now we read in Matthew 12 about Jesus' answer about the two kingdoms. The next verse is very important. It says, verse 29, Or else how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then he will plunder the house. Now this is in connection with the warfare of the kingdoms. It's what I call the principle of the strong man. Jesus pictures a house with a strong man, a despot, a cruel ruler, who has in his house slaves, all sorts of stolen goods, but he's got everything under his control and it's very difficult to go in and set his slaves free or steal get back his plunder. If you go in all the time you're trying to steal his slaves, you're fighting off the strong man, see? And you may end up wounded. So Jesus says that's not the logical way to do it. The logical way is to begin by binding the strong man. Tie him up, put a gag in his mouth, then you can walk in and out at liberty and help yourself to what you need and set his captives free. Now this is a spiritual principle. If you want to be successful 
in any given situation, you've got to discover who is the satanic strong man over the situation. Then you've got to bind the strong man. Then you can do what needs to be done in the situation. But the principle is first bind the strong man, then set his captives free. Now, as I said, Satan's kingdom descends from area, from level to level with, with persons, angelic beings, with areas of responsibility, and they come down, the lowest ones are pretty small areas. And generally speaking, you don't start at the top. You start where you are. And you learn the principles of warfare, and then you can move on until you're dealing with the strong man over a city or even over a nation. But you don't normally begin there. So, if you have problems in succeeding, in doing the will of God, in breaking through spiritually, maybe in your family, maybe in a business, maybe in a church, and somehow things are not going the way you feel they ought to go, but you don't understand the problem, my suggestion is, in all probability, there is a strong man over that situation. And you will not be really successful until you deal with the strong man. Now, I will speak from experience. Uh, I told the other evening that I have, I'm the head of a large family which now has about 120 members. And our family is made up of adopted children. And basically, it's a good family. We love one another. We've stuck together in all sorts of difficult situations. We're still in contact and relationship right across the world. But I was aware, well, I have to say it this way, where I was living after my first wife died, before I married Ruth, I was a widower for two and a half years. Uh, it's a tradition in our family that we meet as a family on Christmas Eve and celebrate. And uh, we meet, of course, in our home normally. And at that time I had a big house. So the, the day before Christmas Eve I was pondering over the family coming together. And although we love one another and... Uh, have basically good relationships. When a lot of the family come together, I always felt a certain tension, certain pressure. Partly, I think it was various daughters hoping that I'd take more interest in their children than some other daughter's children. And um, I thought to myself, there must be something behind this. And I was lying on my back in bed about 11 o'clock at night, and I said, God, what is really behind this? And it was like a kind of gray mist appeared in my room just below the level of the ceiling. And I, I understood that God was showing me this is the power that makes relationships difficult in your family. So I asked God, what is it? And he said, self-righteousness. Now I pondered a little bit. I thought about my first wife. She was a wonderful Christian. 
but like many wonderful Christians she was very concerned to do the right thing and very occupied with doing the right thing and that's a step towards self-righteousness then I thought about myself and I said it it certainly fits me so I saw that our family was to some degree under the influence of a spirit of self-righteousness because both my first wife and I were open to it you see the parents in a family should be the spiritual umbrella protecting the family but if there's a hole in the umbrella then things get through that shouldn't come in see so I thought the first thing I do is repent renounce self-righteousness for myself because you can't do much for other people if you have the problem yourself and I did and then I said God let that power of self-righteousness over our family be broken in the name of Jesus when we came together the next day it was quite different something that had pressured us just wasn't there so that's just one example you may have it in a business you may be a Christian businessman it may be that you really want to use your finance and your talents for the Lord but somehow your business never really prospers the way it should and just when you're on the point of breakthrough you get frustrated I want to suggest to you there's probably a strong man over your business I don't know exactly what it could be it's not my job to know it's your job to find out I don't go around solving everybody's problems but I try to tell people how to solve their own and then when we come to nations the same is true uh, we have brother Warren here somewhere I was in New Zealand which is a nation I know well I visited probably ten times at least I love the people of New Zealand but I was in a meeting there a few years back and I was teaching on this and they said well what's the strong man over New Zealand when I said it isn't my business to tell you it's your business to find out they were leaders but they kept on so I thought well God maybe you'll show me and I, I felt God had shown me well there was a friend of mine a well-known New Zealand Christian who'd come in late to the meeting so he was sitting right at the back with his daughter beside him and eventually they pressured me and I said well if you want to know I believe the strong man over New Zealand is indifference they're a very friendly warm people but they don't in a way take life seriously and their attitude is it'll work out all right in the end in fact what they say in New Zealand is she'll be right Jack well the man who'd come in and was sitting at the back at the moment I said that turned to his daughter and said it's indifference and I'd have to say from then till now New Zealand basically politically socially and spiritually has been on decline and the problem is what indifference that's right and until the New Zealand Christians come to grips with that problem I think they're not going to be really able to deal adequately with the whole situation now we've got Australians here and uh, I, I'm bold I was in Australia I was faced with the same 
issue. Well, I said, if you want to know what I believe, the problem, the spiritual problem of Australia is rejection. Now, you have to be careful what you say with Australians, but as you know, or you may not know, it was founded as a penal colony. Prisoners were given the opportunity to go to Australia, or forced to go to Australia. So you find in the background of the thinking of the Australian people is this sense, we were kind of outcasts. We were rejects. And God gave a most beautiful prophecy when I was teaching on this to a brother in Australia, a New Zealand brother in Australia. And uh, he said God was going to heal that nation. God had compassion. In fact, God called it a nation born in chains. But he said he was going to break those chains. I believe that. I believe there's a tremendous revival coming to Australia in the near future. We could go on. What's the strong man over the United States? Because there are many forces in the nation like that. But I would say essentially rebellion. See, the United States was conceived in rebellion. It's an amazing thing. In history, we British talk about the American War of Independence. The Americans call it the American Revolution. It's just astonishing. <laughs> Now, I'm not criticizing those who... Welcome. And welcome to Live Deliverance in that radio. Uh, Derek Prince was a profound, prophetic uh, teacher doing this telethon. I'm going to be with you all the way until uh, 6 to 7 o'clock this morning. I'll be in South Africa teaching in the next 30 minutes. We're continuing our telethon on different naval cables, networks. And when he said rebe uh, rebellion... Uh, in the United States, that's very true. A lot of rebellious Christians, there's no deliverance in America, there's prosperity doctrine, and uh, it's messed up. All right, Chapman Durden, you got a couple of seconds before you leave. We'll have a couple of words before we get on that, and get, try to get back on this other station out of South Africa. Well, I have nothing else to say. I enjoyed it, and I always enjoy it. Brother Prince teaching. Uh, that was a pleasant surprise. I thought you were going to say goodbye. <laughs> but when I heard it, I said, praise the Lord. So that's what I'm doing now is setting myself up so I can listen to some more Terry Prince. Um, I, I'm, I'm happy to, to be blessed, knowing him per personally as well. God bless you, man, and and good and good blessing to whatever you got in mind. Amen. All right, God bless everyone. I got 20 seconds to be teaching in South Africa off South African radio, WJJY. Shalom.